there's this dream we all have, a dream I share, um, revealing uh, the cloven hoof. Now, people use different expressions. They talk about the smoking gun, uh, the one uh, incriminating, irrefutable detail that gives you the key to everything. As these interviews continued, I, I became convinced that this movie was about the absence of something, not its presence. Um, I hate to quote Hannah Arendt because it's become too goddamn fashionable. Um, I would have arguments with a friend of mine, Ron Rosenbaum, about the famous phrase, the banality of evil. And of course she defined it and redefined it and redefined it again. But there's one definition that I rather like, and it's not in Eichmann in Jerusalem. It's in a letter to Gershom Scholem where she defined it not as the presence of something, but as the absence of something. Something you, you would expect to be there, but just isn't. First, first thing, I feel like we should say, again, once again, recording in a new place, uh. <laughs> and we're in the best place to record a podcast, which is directly above a pub that's about to show an England versus Scotland football match. <laughs> so, you know, if there's any yeah. noise, if you hear any people yelling or you uh-huh. hear any cars, because uh-huh. we're also by a busy street. I thought you said we were going to put it on. Oh, yeah. Uh, can't be bothered. <laughs> I'll put it on in a bit. Yeah, I'll put it on in a bit. Maybe if we get this done, we'll be able to watch the second half. Yeah. yeah. Has it started? I think it starts at eight. Mm. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's uh, just for the listener. It's yeah. uh, seven forty-nine. <laughs> it's seven forty-nine, um, Friday, June eighteenth. <laughs> I just got a very funny text from my dad. Um, Hello, Dan. How are we doing? <laughs> um, boy, I yeah. We'll get into this, but I'm a little angry. I'm a little off sorts. Chuck's a little worked up. A little worked up. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm. Uh, I'm. Um... <laughs> well, I suppose I don't know how to. I suppose from the listener's standpoint, it's been a whole week. Yeah, from wow, it's been a week. <laughs> we recorded two days ago, yeah. um, and therefore I have still yet to go away. Yeah, how was your Which holiday? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm sure it was Alex. <laughs> Great, thank God. Uh, so yeah, so my my current experience of myself is um, all of the pre going away oh, stress. Yeah, yeah, good yeah. Idea. 
That's what it be is, all right. isn't it? Yeah. It'll be all right. That's my general sentiment anyway. Do you think communism will solve any of that anxiety? Because a lot of that anxiety for me is just the prospect of having to deal with traveling. And like, yeah. If it was free, it'd be a little bit better, I guess, and wouldn't have to deal with like TSA and like... Maybe not. <laughs> maybe it'd still just be stressful. Yeah, maybe it'd just be stressful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't have to solve everything, right? It doesn't have to solve everything. It would be nice. Yeah. It'd be nice if it solved everything. Yeah, I mean, I suppose what what uh, yeah what other stresses the the experience of traveling, the experience of interacting with people, <laughs> the just the various frustrations. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all a fab. Yeah. I'll ask you again in two weeks. <laughs> All right. I'll give it some thought. Yeah, exactly. When I'm on my like seven-hour train journey tomorrow, I'll be asking myself, how would this be improved by communism? <laughs> I guarantee you you'll be thinking that when you're on at least one train, when they just ex- extort you yeah. <laughs> to yeah, get yeah, to yeah. London. Oh. When, when I'm on my bus replacement service. <laughs> yeah. I'll be thinking about it. Under communism, will it'll just be one big hyperloop. We'll have figured it out. <laughs> it's funny. When 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 Musk first came up with that idea, I, I don't remember if it was the Hyperloop or if it was just like the bullet train in California, but everyone was like, this would be pretty cool to like get to Bakersfield in like five minutes, I guess. But then you just kind of think it's like, I feel like I'd rather just spend the extra hour on a train and not be like packed in a tube lying down being like sucked through space and time. Like, I don't know. It feels a little like... I think you're like... imagining the Hyperloop to be like those those people in tubes in Futurama. <laughs> That's kind of... Yeah, exactly. Like okay. a pneumatic tube. I thought it was just a train. I mean, if it's just a train, I'm going to be much more mad than a, I am It's right just now. a train, but like a, a vacuum train. <laughs> so... I guess less friction. I'd like to get to the point where I can just show up to work and be like, vacuum train. And they just throw money at me. <laughs> yeah, I think you just have to be a different person. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think and I'd you, you, yeah. You have to have had a large family fortune in which to invest <laughs> in, a, in a tech firm early on in your life. I thought he did that all himself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Who, who are you rooting for today, by the way, in this football match? England or Scotland? Uh, I mean, I have no um, no particular connection to Scotland. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, one one always roots against the English, I guess. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I'm, I, I mean, like, I, I've decided not to fight against the urge to just support England. Mm-mm. Mm. Um, I could I could work on a rationale and justification for that, mm. or I could just be like, yeah. I don't know, it's a, it's a sporting competition. You've got to have a team, yeah, and it is also nice to be surrounded by people who are in all likelihood supporting the same team. You yeah, know, like yeah. there is like <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. It it's unfortunate that a one would hope friendly, but often hostile <laughs> sense of uh, collective solidarity have, has to be fashioned around uh, a national identity. Yeah, but um, it's uh, it's. Um, I mean, three years ago when it was the World Cup, it was quite a nice, yeah, vibe to be around. Mm-mm. People's sort of like collective attachment and joy to the. 
Yeah, just the experience of supporting a team and being together yeah. and sharing those highs and lows. And I mean, it's not new. Football fans <laughs> knew this and sports fans in general know this. Um, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. So if anybody is enjoying supporting England, don't feel bad about it. Yeah, go for it. That's yeah. what I say. Yeah. I do find it a bit strange, though. This time in particular, this national, this, I mean, this international tournament in particular seeing people flying England flags yeah, and today. it's not yeah. necessarily the flag per se although I mean obviously I do have a particular gut reaction to seeing <laughs> that flag and, and uh, I guess the union flag as well but um I was just like who who are you showing off to yeah like who 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 are you trying to tell that you're supporting England I think it's presumably <laughs> assumed I mean if, if you were a Scot yeah. living in England by all means like um mm. yeah fly the flag yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it until until friend of the show Thelma Walker forms her breakaway state in the north of England. Then yeah. that's who we'll be rooting for. Yeah, yeah, of course. Presumably there are some Northerners on the team. So yeah, for now, England. Yeah. Why not? That's what I say. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really thought about that. Mm. It would necessitate a new sports team. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, well, I hope it would be good. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> who's the good? Uh, I don't even know. I'm going to bother asking this question. Uh, but who's the good? I can't give you any answers. <laughs> it's Harry something. Harry Kane is that oh, his right. name? Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- hope it's his name. Yeah, folks, I like baseball. <laughs> this whole football thing. I'm still calling it soccer. You know what I mean? I don't mind calling it soccer as well. Yeah, we could adopt that as the podcast preferred <laughs> nomenclature if you like. Excellent. Thank okay. you. From this day forward. So they're doing American football downstairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, uh, people, St. George's flags uh, flying around, uh, soccer, all of that jazz. That's all out of the way. It's raining again, so that's how you know we're in England. Mm-hmm. Um, after being very hot, Dan and I spent the last week being eaten alive by mosquitoes, which I was told when I first got here that mosquitoes don't live in England, and that's been proven dramatically incorrect this past week. My legs look like... I have chicken pox. <laughs> I was trying to think of a better metaphor. I don't uh, know. <laughs> uh-huh. um, yeah, so mosquitoes too as well. But hopefully the rain will deal with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Anything else? Is that enough banner? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> have we reached a requisite <laughs> amount of banner? <laughs> I think so. Although I don't, I don't know whether you're judging in terms of time spent attempting to do banter or, <laughs> or quality. actual quality of banter. Yeah, because I think it's been quite poor. <laughs> I think it's been good. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> I think it's been good as well. Yeah, yeah, your banner, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, many, many episodes of this podcast ago, mm. I guess episode 26, 27, oh. um, you pitched to me the prospect of watching two documentaries. Mm. Well, you gave me a choice. <laughs> you were like, would you like to watch this Errol, Do- Errol Morris documentary uh, interviewing... Uh, Robert McNamara, or would you like to watch one where he interviews Donald Rumsfeld? <laughs> and I was like, well, I know who Donald Rumsfeld is, um, and I suspect that watching that one would be considerably more infuriating, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not sure I could take it right now. So I opted for the Robert McNamara, uh-huh. which... Uh, uh, was infuriating in its own way, but it was kind of revealing yeah. of information that I wasn't aware of and a narrative that I didn't know and a character that I hadn't seen on television or interacted mm. with before. Um, and we now know, I think, <laughs> that I was correcting that expectation that watching yeah. a documentary interviewing uh, Donald Rumsfeld would be all of those things, infuriating, infuriating. and ho- horrifying and... Uh, 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, unless you haven't guessed, we have today because <laughs> we're too lazy to read something else. We're phoning another one in. We've watched one the documentary. What's it actually called? No, no. The unknown known. The unknown known. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get I don't that. think it's plural. I think it's just the unknown, the unknown known. known. Yeah, from a year after the McNamara one, I believe. Don't remember what year. But again, Errol Morris. Yeah. Um, I will say, I think that uh, to agree with you, I, I came away from the last episode that we did about Robert McNamara. And I was, uh, I, I think I said something along the lines, my like takeaway from that movie on the show was that he's an idiot. <laughs> it's like, he was just used. He had no idea what was actually going on. He was just a numbers guy and he just had good faith in everybody. I think that noise is that light bulb. Do you think that's been picked up? Mm, I assumed it was a running tap. <laughs> oh, maybe. I don't know. It might not even be getting picked up. I don't think it's fine. <laughs> uh, if you can hear that, I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah, the other bad. option is to podcast in the, well, it's not the dark necessarily, but... In the twilight. In the twilight. So I came away thinking that Robert McNamara was an idiot. And this one, I, so we just finished it. Yeah. So it's, I'm a little, I'm a little hot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one, I, I've just come away thoroughly convinced that Donald Rumsfeld is just pure evil. I, like the the man is so infuriatingly smarmy and like McNamara, you get the sense when he says something stupid and contradictory that it's just like, oh, he kind of is like, oh, why do I think that? Oh, I'm so silly. Oh, the fire bombings. Oh, yes, that was bad. Blah, 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 blah. Rumsfeld, like you get the sense that like this dude eats people like McNamara for breakfast. That's what I got. It's like he he knew exactly what he was doing. And when you're reminded how long his career has been. Is he still alive? He must be. I'd imagine. <laughs> Should have looked that up. He's yeah. still alive. Why I'll not? have a look. You Put him on talking. death watch if he isn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or if he is. Um, it, you, you just, you're just disgusted because it's like in this movie, you just go line by line through all of these. It's kind of framed by like all of these different memos that he's written about like, um, you know, oh, today I talked about torture or like, oh, Condoleezza Rice, you suck. Or like, oh, Vietnam, getting pretty crazy, huh? And you're just reminded that, like, it's been the same, like, five guys behind the scenes doing things for so long in American domestic and foreign policy. I mean, this obviously focused a lot more on foreign policy as a secretary of defense for quite some time. But, like, my man was just evil. And the things that he's done... Is he alive? Yeah. Uh, put him on death watch. <laughs> that one put him on death watch maliciously, yeah. like everybody else. <laughs> the, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm still mad. And we'll we'll get into all of the crazy things that he said in this movie, but like I'm just infuriated because it's like to okay, well, I'll pinpoint one thing. When you're watching him give press conferences as Secretary of Defense with Bush, you're just like stunned by how Trumpian he is and the way that he treats the press and the like non-answers that he gives. And it's just like it's, it's just infuriating. I was just so mad watching it being like, maybe I was also mad just because it's like, okay, liberals like to pretend that like Trump's this brand new thing. But it's like, go back and watch how he treated people during the Iraq war and, and the war in Afghanistan. It's like, it's just maddening. He knew what he was doing too. And it's just so evil. That's my takeaway. Yeah, we both came away with this feeling watching those uh, those <laughs> those uh, those press conferences. Yeah, there's just something incredibly Trumpian about yeah. his use of language. It's weird because his presentation is entirely different. Mm. Like, or like, I don't know what. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just that um, Donald Trump reads as more of an idiot. <laughs> yeah, 
you anything <laughs> that you listen to Donald Rumsfeld say, it's kind of like, is this some kind of wisdom, or is it idiocy? Like, is it is it is he speaking total nonsense all the time? Yeah. But with like with Trump, you just sort of know that you're speaking nonsense. He's speaking nonsense, but there's no way to break through to him. So you're just sort of like baffled nonetheless. <laughs> yeah. Whereas with Rumsfeld, it's kind of like you come away with this question in your mind, like, oh, I can imagine the press or one experiencing him and being like, oh, that's really clever. Mm. And then thinking about it, actually, I can't possibly repeat the words that he said in that order and I can't work out the chain of logic in any of it. <laughs> and, like, he's constructed a sentence that has gotten us basically back to the same point where we started and we've not really gained any new information. Yeah. But, like, it's masterful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, yeah, yeah. It's like modern political just BS. I mean, it's always polit- that that kind of political talk has always been a thing, but like he has absolutely mastered it. And one thing that I was thinking was that like w- when he's at that stage of his career and he's like the top dude basically, it's like he he seemed like a mix of George H.W. Bush and Trump because he had I don't know if like all of those dudes just got together and they were like Americans respond best to like a vague country home accent that you can't quite pin it down and it's just like you know reagan took it to like a like an ultra thing but like george hw bush had it too where he's like i'm just a, you know i'm a oh, i'm getting uh, stepped on by the big washington folk kind of thing it's like he kind of has that but he totally has the trump just like baffle you with meaningless words until you're just like well forget it <laughs> it's yeah. like like he clearly had no respect for <laughs> <laughs> um, members of the press in exactly the Which same I way that Trump a did. Bit. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to be like, yeah, fair play. <laughs> like to watch somebody respond to a question with "that's a stupid question." <laughs> yeah, straight or, up. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it use several sentences and sort of dance around it a bit, or like even when he's doing a direct um, refusal to answer a question, it's still sort of slightly funny or slightly uh, crafted. Yeah. In a way which is still meant to leave you a little bit baffled and taken aback, and um, it's yeah. almost meant to d- prevent the rebuttal, you know, or like re- yeah. prevent the follow up, or leave somebody just a little bit like it's semantics. floundering. I mean, like this man's this man's use of, but also fascination with, mm. like if we're going to get into the point where we're going to do like deep uh, psychological analysis of this person, like I really think. So much could be written or considered or talked about about his use of language, mm. his fascination with language, his fascination with meaning mm. uh, and definition, and what it says about his connection to the world and reality almost in terms of like mm. uh, c- constructing a world of meaning for himself or constructing a world of meaning for other people in and sort of trying to share that understanding of the world kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, because there's that moment, right, where some poor reporter from, like, the New York Times or Washington Post yeah, yeah. or some other just respectable institution uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> says something. I want to say, make some joke about, like, sir, Mr. President, sir. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How dare you, sir? Um, like, you, I think you're supposed to imply that, like, a week before this reporter had been, like, okay, Mr. Rumsfeld, you need to, like, come back to the next meeting and look up the definition of, like, guerrilla warfare, insurgency, um, and 
a third word, which I'll get to in a second, where they basically are because Rumsfeld's trying to be like, there's no guerrilla organ like organized guerrilla resistance in Iraq. Everything's going fine. There's no insurgent counterinsurgency. Everything's going fine. We're all doing you know, this is all fine in Iraq. Um, when it very obviously like clearly wasn't. And he comes back to the next meeting and is like, well, I looked up the dictionary definition. And he's kind of laughing while he does it. Like, hey, we're just joking here. This isn't about like the mass murder of like up to a million people. And, you know, he says, I looked up that word and I looked up uh, insurgency and I looked up a third word and I forget what that is. And the guy says, oh, well, I told you to look up quagmire and what that meant. And he is like, oh, quagmire. Well, I forgot about that one. And then he just like moves on and everyone's like, ha, 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 that was funny. And then like five minutes later, they're like, wait a minute, he didn't answer the question. He didn't, was, is this a quagmire? So you're right. It's that like, whenever anyone does a thing where they're like, well, look up the dictionary definition of this and you'll see. And it's like, apart from the obvious, like you're losing the connotation of like why this word was obviously meant, you can just be schmarmy and be like, uh, well, technically this isn't a quagmire or technically this isn't a guerrilla insurgency uh, because of uh, X, Y, and Z when it's like in reality, that's exactly what's going on. You're right to point out that like, what that says about his psychological profile is uh, damning, but it's also like, I feel, what do you think? Did you, did you get the sense that like he only really got to that point when he was serving under W? Cause it seems like that kind of, he like almost perfected his semantics and his like speaking to the press by then. And then just was like, Oh, I'll just use like this dictionary definition crap. Whereas before that he was kind of like, well, I don't know. Maybe he asked Nixon to look up some definitions or something at some point. I kind of forget. I don't recall, I don't think we got any, although there was very little, um, um, what's the word, contemporary or of the time clips of him speaking mm. for any of his career, basically up until when he entered the Bush administration, I think. There were, there was lots of his memos that were still being read kind of things and things that he'd written. Um, but I guess I feel like, we just don't get the information necessary to yeah. to know quite when that developed. Yeah, but like whether it's um, clearly it's a skill, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not yeah. Sure. Yeah. You just get a, a very like this dude is just dancing circles around everybody and he's just going to be in your face being like, no, I'm not going to answer your question about the atrocities that we may or may not be committing in Guantanamo Bay and Abu Ghraib in the entire country of Iraq. I'm not going to answer your question directly about like. You know, oh, well, you knew that Saddam didn't have any WMDs. And he's like, well, that was a, would it be an unknown known? Yeah, I think that would be an unknown known. Because he does this stupid thing about, like, trying to come up with all of the different combinations of unknown known, known unknown, unknown unknown, known known. And the unknown known is basically just, like, paranoia, <laughs> I think. Another word for paranoia. Because he basically just says, well, you know, we didn't know things that were probably facts. And for him, an unknown known is that there were, there must have been WMDs in Iraq. And even though we didn't have any evidence, uh, that didn't matter because not having evidence isn't a lack of evidence. And you're just kind of like, while you're trying to process that, he moves on. It's, it's a complete failure of like, debating in general and just like talking to people, which is funny because that's exactly what the movie was, I guess. It's just him talking to someone. Um, and you get the sense that you can't really know the true uh, horrors of everything that he's done just by speaking to him because you're going to get these smarmy replies no matter what you say. Like, this is a guy who's been doing it forever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. mm. 
Yeah, I, I guess it'd be interesting to consider or talk about the difference between this interview with Rumsfeld and the interview with uh, McNamara. Mm. Um, whether you think they're one was in some ways a success and a failure or whether one what the outcomes that we got from this one were different from the McNamara one or the way McNamara responded to this kind of interviewing whether it's just that you get the sense that because you were you started off by saying that like McNamara was well I can't remember what phrase you don't want to put words in your mouth just a bit of an idiot Um, (laughs) (laughs) or at least like maybe would be kind of be like naive you know like he's he was he was just Somebody who was brought in to do a particular job, he was just a stats guy, he wasn't the guy making the main decisions, you know, like, um, he would had a degree of, he created a degree of separation for himself, um, but also it felt like Elmer Morris in that documentary was um, beginning to... Like, it, it was almost like trying to give McNamara the opportunity to... Um, I don't know, like bear his soul a bit more, sort yeah, of confess or like. Um, but then I, I feel like, as I recall, the end of that documentary was he never really quite got to the point where um, he he sort of like yeah, confessed kind up. of thing. He, he sort of like sh- he yeah. shut himself off at a certain point. Like it was yeah. like. But as we were watching, I was thinking about the distinction between the two and the extent to which, like, both McNamara also seemed to have like um, a a constructed, prearranged with prearranged language mm. sort of account of what had happened, you know, kind of thing. And in some ways there was quite a lot of similarity between um his experience and description of his reality, I suppose, or his history, which seemed quite similar to Rumsfeld's in that same way of being like um preconstructed and quite secure and uh having a degree of confidence in it kind of thing. Yeah. Um Rumsfeld comes across as a lot less, a lot more secure and a lot less shakable. Yeah, um, absolutely. But I do wonder whether there is a parallel to be drawn between the two of them in that there is an extent to which they both seem to think of themselves as maybe this is the only thing you can do when you're put in that kind of position. Or maybe rather that p- those kind of positions end up filling being filled with people who have a certain type of mentality, which is that you are sort of a stooge to events and history. Yeah. Um, I get and a reluctance to bear responsibility kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, there were, there were degrees, there were certainly degrees to which um, this interview with Rumsfeld or Rumsfeld attitude is one in which um, he really is, uh, he feels himself to be sort of immune to criticism almost or like doesn't actually seem to even think he took any decisions, you know, or Mm. like no decision seems to, there seems to be no chain of causation between any of the decisions that he's made. Yeah. I don't know whether that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I, I think, I think a good distinction to be made is that I don't remember if Errol Morris asked McNamara that question that he asked Rumsfeld right at the end of like, do you make history or are you made by history? I I got the feeling that McNamara definitely thought he was just along for the ride, dude. Just like, whatever, man. We're just kind of, you know, Kennedy's going to do his thing and I'm just going to, he's the president. I'm the one crunching the numbers. You know what I mean? But I get, I get the feeling that Rumsfeld, despite how he answered the question, which was a complete non-answer, he basically just went, huh, I don't know, bro. Like, he, I think he, he thinks he's 
a master of history. And I think it's pretty hard if you were in his shoes not to think that. Because it's like if you go through the different administrations that he was part of and like the different shenanigans that he may or may not have pulled to like stay in power and like have things go his way, it would be hard not to think that you kind of control everything. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think that's the main thing is that Rumsfeld is a lot more confident in himself. Um, for quite frankly, for good reason. I mean, the dude stuck around for so long because he knew what he was doing and he knew how to control power and he knew how to like manipulate people and all that stuff. Do you get the feeling that he wanted, actually wanted to be Reagan's running mate or not? Cause I was kind of like, I wasn't sure the movie tried to frame it like, yeah, he really wanted it, but it's like, I don't know. They make a lot of like this rivalry in air quotes between him and George H.W. Bush that I kind of don't buy. I kind of, it's like, he's one's the like future secretary of defense and one is like the head of the CIA and then the president. Like, I don't think there, there might've been like interpersonal, like, oh, you know, I wanted to kill this many people, but he wanted to kill this many people, blah, blah, blah. But like, I don't know. I kind of think that that, whether or not it was all planned, I don't think Rumsfeld was actually that upset about not getting the VP pick under Reagan. What do you think? I think it's very hard to say. Mm -hmm. I think he was never going to admit it. Sure. Um, And I suppose he was always going to present it as as him getting what he wanted. And I think that was the problem with this documentary in general. Clearly, there were places where... Rumsfeld wasn't willing to talk in the way that Morris probably wanted him to talk. Mm. Like McNamara was far more forthcoming. And so through McNamara's words and his account, you then get an account and a narrative with which you can build a a narrative for a film, which covers Mm. the majority of his life. Mm. And you feel like you get all of those key moments in quite good detail. Whereas I got the impression anyway that perhaps Morris really hadn't managed to get the full account from Rumsfeld in a way that you could actually build quite a strong narrative for a documentary. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So it did feel like there were moments which were skipped over in some ways or it was very hard for then Morris to present the counter-argument. Um the way that Rumsfeld talks about that moment in in 1979, 1980, 1980 rather, where mm. uh, he was a contender to be the vice presidential running mate for uh, Reagan. Mm. The way that Rumsfeld wants to talk about it is that he caught wind of, like he knew it was him and he knew it was Bush who were contenders, but he also puts a third name on the table. There was this potential discussion of former President Ford being the vice presidential running mate and the way that that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way that, uh, um, Rumsfeld presents it is that Rumsfeld thought this was a terrible idea. Mm. And in the end, his notion that that was a terrible idea was borne out by other people also agreeing with him kind of thing. So he constructs that entire race around his idea for who it ought to be and who it ought not be. And how he was correct, and everybody else thought he was correct. Oh, true. Um, and so when he, when he, when in Rumsfeld's account, when he hears word that um, Reagan is going to pick Bush to be the running mate, he's like, "Oh, thank God! <laughs> just so long as you're not going to pick Gerald Ford." <laughs> um, and there is no mention necessarily of like he how uh, Rumsfeld actually felt about 
being snubbed, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and it is put to him that had you been the the running mate in 1980, there was a very good chance that you would have ended up being president instead mm. of uh, mm. George H. Bush. Um, but he does quite a, does quite a good show of sort of like laughing that off kind of thing. He yeah. wasn't really that concerned about the idea kind of thing. Um, I feel like it would probably be legit, legitimate to think that this person did want to be yeah. president. Yeah. But there was another just... Um, I'll stop talking in a minute. <laughs> there was another aspect of which wasn't really covered by this film was also like his connection to business uh, and the relationship, the idea of him being like a, mm. a sort of stooge or a figurehead for business in politics kind of thing. Um and maybe that was his key interest in being pol- in politics. It was not mm. like political power per se, but like uh, economic and political influence sort of tied together. I don't know whether. Yeah. Well, I've, I've a hard, in that. I mean, it's the same thing for H.W. Bush. It's the exact same thing. Like, I mean, you know, get ready to clutch your pearls, but like there's a revolving door between, you know, the private sector and the public sector and the federal government. Oh my God, no way. I mean... Regardless, he definitely wound up getting what he getting what he wanted. I, I like imagining that Reagan, when he was telling him that he went with H.W. Bush, he had him on like speakerphone and that like Gerald Ford was in the room. And he's like, well, as long as you didn't go with that <laughs> idiot Ford. And Ford's just like, oh, hey, yeah. I mean, it's another thing that's interesting about that whole dynamic is like you really get a sense of like where the power kind of lay in those early years and kind of before that too, like when the narrative of the documentary seems to suggest that there was this failed assassination attempt on Gerald Ford's life and it kind of made Rumsfeld rethink some things and he was kind of like, okay, you know, me and the boys were talking, Ford, and, you know, we're going to resign if you don't kind of start to change things up and change up your cabinet and, you know, put your foot down on certain things, certain things that obviously benefit, like, the private sector, like, enormously. And I, I think that, like... I don't know. Actually, before I go any further, I thought it was really interesting that it kind of seemed like a lot of that was won, that influence that he won after that was won at Kissinger's expense, which I thought was really interesting because Kissinger kind of like had two roles, I think, right? And then was kind of like chopped up and given to other people. I don't I don't really know what to make of that, but that was interesting. It kind of made it seem like Kissinger, as much as you think of him as one of the boys, like the boys included Rumsfeld and Cheney. And like, that was kind of it, like no room for a third boy. It's like kind of just us and we're making things work. Um, But anyway, to like tie it back to what I was saying, like H.W. Bush and Rumsfeld, 150,000 million percent represented the same interests in terms of like making sure that we have a continued war after communism, like a, you know, a phantom person to just pump money into to, you know, build up the defense sector to just give contracts to our buddies and to get slush funds or whatever. And so I think maybe that's the thing that kind of makes me think like maybe there was a little bit of personal ambition where they kind of like agreed like, okay, one, one of us is going to be like the vice president and then probably go on to be president. And like, you know, we'll just leave it up to like that <laughs> like actor from California, I guess, to decide. But like either way, it doesn't really matter because like one of us is going to get it. So maybe there was like a bit of personal ambition on Rumsfeld's part to like be chosen over H.W. Bush because it did kind of seem like there was a bit of. Like, it seemed like the press certainly played it up to kind of both of their benefit, but, like, maybe there was a bit of personal rivalry between him and H.W. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that really matters, because, again, they both got exactly what they wanted. Yeah, and 
Rumsfeld did end up pay, playing in a really key, as I recall anyway, maybe you can remind me whether he had or what his role was during the Reagan administration. There was certainly footage of him uh, around, just in the run-up to, it was in 1989, I think, there was footage of him um, making, attempting to, well, I wanted to say making a powerful case. Obviously, he didn't make a good argument, but like arguing for the necessity of America not stepping back on the world stage in terms yep. of its military influence. Um, and so clearly he was still in a position to... It was quite interesting to hear you put that narrative on it because I hadn't really picked that up from the documentary very much, mm. that his key intention was to like um, continue to have all this money be funneled from government to uh, military expenditure. And the way to do that was to keep uh, this sense of there being great... Um, Sort of uh, America continuing to be imperiled post Cold War and the necessity of having a sense of an enemy and mm. uh, the requirement to maintain military spending, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and he clearly played a very important role in that around the the end of the Cold War in that end of the Cold War era kind of thing. Mm. So clearly, he still continued to make a very important contribution to that effort, regardless of what role he was playing in the. Mm in the various administrations at the time. He might not have been in the administration. He might have just been a guy. Sure. Like, that yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he still would have been somebody that people turned to kind of thing. Yeah. Because he had been um, Secretary of Defense already, right? Yeah, like, I didn't realize that. Yeah, he yeah, was yeah, Secretary yeah. Of Defense. Was he the youngest Secretary of Defense ever, I think, or at the time anyway? Oh, maybe. Um, Isn't that McNamara? Not Secretary of Defense, but just like he was the youngest. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'm getting I don't these, know. these fast. Anyway, yeah. So he was, he was um, Gerald Ford's Secretary of Defense. Yeah. Another thing that baffles me, and it's it's what, what you're saying, is it's like, this dude is so open about the evil things that he's doing, because it was like, <laughs> they showed a cover of some magazine, I think it was Fortune, where they literally had a photo of him, and in big red font, it said something like, um, uh, a politician in the private sector, or something like that. It might have been reversed. It was like a private sector guy who's a, also a politician, and it's like, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. does that not raise any eyebrows here? Or like, even yeah, when you're saying when he just got up in front of everybody and was like, um, he made the point that you always hear. That's like, well, who's going to run the world if it's not America? We need to be strong. We need to be strong against these dang communists, against these dang terrorizers. But like, he also made a really big point when he was talking about communism and when he was talking about terrorism, where he was like, um, who's actually maintained America's role as peacekeeper around the world? And then he says, like, it's the people who have invested billions of dollars into the defense industry. And it's like, he should be shot just for saying that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. like, it's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he, he's tantamount to say, like, he draws it all the way back to, like, um, FDR, basically. Yeah. It's like, it starts with FDR, and yeah. it's everybody who spent all this money. I think he says Truman. Oh, I think Truman. he's careful sorry. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, Truman. But, like, um, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's, he's very clearly, like, America's, he's praising... He's basically praising the military-industrial complex. Literally. He's like, literally doing Without that. saying the phrase, yeah. he's basically describing the military-industrial complex over the past, whatever, 40-odd years at that point <sighs> and being like, this is why America has the role that it does, has the procedure that it does, and there's no attempt to veil that at all. Right? Yeah. Like, and like all of these conservative talking heads were just like, oh, he's making a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh my God, how stupid can you be? And it's like, yeah, obviously you draw a straight line from the uh, war with communism to the uh, 
uh, War on Terror. I thought it was so funny, just as a like funny historical note, that the way that he kind of got what he wanted a lot of times was just through schmoozing. And like how crazy that is, because, you know, when the kind of war on communism was like dying down and everyone was like, all right, well, like, it's the Soviet Union. Come on, what are they going to do? He would like take groups of congressmen into, I forget where, I think in the White House somewhere, take them into a little private room, get the president to say hi to him, and then be like, show them photos of like, I don't know, like bunkers that the Soviet Union had, I guess, and be like, look what these reds are doing. <laughs> and they would be like, whoa, I didn't realize that like they were preparing for war. Like, what? <laughs> this is the bit in the in the documentary when there's this massive montage of like graphs that presumably yeah. had produced that were all like their spending versus our spending, their military buildup versus our military buildup, their so nuclear good. capacity versus our nuclear capacity. <laughs> and it's like the, the Soviet Union is going up in all metrics and he's going, the US is going down in all metrics. And as you say, yeah, he's just like... Um, you try using the sort of like the 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 pomp of the white house and the possibility of meeting the president as a way to smooth american politicians and sort of like win them over to this idea that like america is falling behind in some kind of uh in Mm. the sort of like the the spending aspect of the cold war which was uh Mm. I don't know. It was literally just like graphs with no labels on their X yeah. and Y axis, just lines going up. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, down. it just reminded me of the Reagan graph of like your taxes and taxes, yeah. their plan and our plan, and the difference in taxes kind of thing. People just go, "God damn, look at that graph." Yeah. <laughs> Where did he go to college? That, if, okay, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. If he went to Yale, I'm gonna shoot myself. <laughs> There's no he might he must have gone to an Ivy League. Okay, I got his Wikipedia page pulled up here. On his Wikipedia page, it says there's a heading that's like, return to the private sector. And it's like, <laughs> oh, my God. I'm preparing to restrain Jack. <laughs> oh, okay. He only went to Princeton. Oh, great. Okay. God. And then Georgetown. Interesting. Interesting. I have... I'm not going to say that I actually believe this, Dan. But yeah, I, okay. We're going <laughs> to... Like... <laughs> we spent half of our time watching this documentary concocting our own conspiracy theory. And I think it's going to come out now. So Potentially. Yeah. Okay. Jack All has some I'm suspicions. Saying, I'm just asking Jack questions. Jack has some questions. <laughs> like, he's been doing... He's just like, like considering some research. I'm an independent researcher. Yeah. <laughs> just go back... All I'm saying, and I'm not going to say anything after I say this, just go back and look at photos of the person that is supposedly Donald Rumsfeld when he's running for Congress. Because that's a meathead, dude. He's like a big boy. Yeah, he's got like the buzz cut. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's pretty big. He's pretty big. I don't know why anyone would want to like presumably assassinate and then replace Donald Rumsfeld. But like, all I'm saying. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Did we decide if that is indeed what happened when it was? <laughs> I think... Pro- my, I mean, my... Sorry, go on. Then. I was going to say, I think right, like, relatively soon after he won Congress. Okay. Because then he kind of starts, like you said, wearing the glasses and doing a different haircut. Yeah, he starts wearing the big 70s <laughs> glasses and the haircut changes. And I think... Yeah, one could easily just be like, yeah, fair play. That's like, that's one of them. So whatever. Yeah. A normal yeah. person would be like, yeah, that's the same person. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he will last like 50 pounds. Yeah. I'm saying. I mean, my, I mean, my theory was that like the, the, the <laughs> ostensible assassination attempt of Gerald Ford was ah. actually a successful assassination oh of Donald God. Rumsfeld. Damn. And that's Excellent. when he was replaced. <laughs> That... Like it's like, <laughs> nobody, yeah, yeah. Nobody questions the mo- the motivations of an assassination when the person is stood next to the president. I heard that in a movie once. Ah, I like I like how the headline that they showed in the movie about 
because I didn't I didn't know anything about this assassination attempt. The headline they showed was like, uh, "Woman attempts to assassinate Ford." Uh, as uh, rebelling against, quote-unquote, the system. It's like, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Uh, comrade, nonetheless. <laughs> um, yeah, another thing I'd kind of like to say is you brought up the, like, the differences between how they, McNamara and Rumsfeld, both related to their uh, war crimes, crimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in their horrific pasts. Um, it, okay, I will say, at least McNamara had the cojones to basically be like, yeah, if we'd lost, I would have been a war criminal. There's, you would never get McNamara, or, uh, Rumsfeld to admit that. Um, he would just be like, oh, well, uh, who knows? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, because, like, it wouldn't, it, like, in the case of, uh, McNamara, it would have taken history to judge him. Whereas yeah. Donald Rumsfeld's clearly in the position, or thinks he's in the position to judge himself. He yeah. probably would have just resigned, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. Or threatened to resign anyway. There's, <laughs> yeah. n- there's a number of times in this documentary where he either threatens to resign or offers his resignation, um, yeah. which is yeah. meant to be, uh, you're meant to think it's a sort of like humble. Uh, a humble, magnanimous yeah. gesture, but uh, I don't know. When Cheney's involved, Cheney, just like if you had to cast a sleazy looking dude who's like controlling things from behind the scenes, you would cast the person Dick Cheney. Yeah. Whenever you see him, it's just like, ooh, that guy's evil. Don't like him. Um, but yeah, the, it, I, another interesting thing is that like, I don't, at any point, did you get the feeling that McNamara was like combative towards Errol Morris? Because Rumsfeld certainly was at certain points. Like there were points where Rumsfeld straight up was like, ha owned you with facts and logic there. Let me chalk that up on my chalkboard. Mm. And you just kind of get the feeling that Errol Morris is behind the camera going, oh my God. Yeah. Guy. I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the documentary, Errol Morris asks him, why are you doing this documentary? <laughs> yeah, oh, and yeah. I think it's probably just that like, he misses owning mm. with facts and logic yeah. members of the press. <laughs> he probably point. just wanted to have another, like, yeah. um, uh, um, uh, what's the right better for? Uh, uh, innings at bat, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, honestly. I mean, I also wonder how much of it is, like, if you're Errol's people, you probably have to be, like, pitch it to these psychopaths as, like, you know, a big Hollywood director as successful movies wants to come interview you. And Let like, you set, his, set, the, set the record straight. Set the record straight. And also, like, you'll be back in the spotlight once again. That's another thing. Like, I wonder how these people relate to themselves once their careers are kind of ostensibly over and they're just on, like, a speaker circuit. Because mm. it's like, you've been the dude for quite some time and you've held quite a bit of power. Because at a certain point, you've just, you know, a new group has to come in and be like, all right, you're kind of the old man now. You know what I mean? Like, McNamara was fine with it because he was never the dude. But, like, Rumsfeld, it's kind of like, yeah, I'd like to hear what he has to say now. Because, like, H.W. Bush, the way he just got around it was just by being a decayed, like, demented, shriveled mess. <laughs> like, but Rumsfeld, I don't know. I guess you don't hear much from him anymore. But, yeah. Yeah, you're, it's interesting to point out that, like, um, McNamara was actually only in the spotlight for, like, six or seven years or something. Mm-hmm. Um. And presumably didn't really choose it. Yeah. Whereas like Rumsfeld like clearly chose a career in politics kind of thing. Yeah. Um, much as he wanted to suggest that he made very few choices and mostly he was just like uh, victim to circumstances kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, clearly he clearly he he I mean presumably he had an attachment to the power, and yeah, you're quite right to say, like what uh 
what what does that feel like afterwards? I mean, I don't know yeah. whether either of us will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Until we form our sect, neither of us will ever know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It might have to be a cult. <laughs> I had sect cult. Yeah. yeah same thing. Um, yeah, I, I, oh, God. I, if I try and pinpoint, the th- like, maybe the thing that made me so mad about um, Rumsfeld is it's like, you can point to certain reasons, I guess, why people are, like, Trump people. They're shitty reasons, right? But, like, why people are Trump people or why people, like, liked Bush. You know what I mean? For the while that everybody did like Bush. But, like, with Rumsfeld, he is just, like, a perfect distillation of, like, everything bad about politicians that literally every single person hates. Putting forward despicable, disgusting, um, not policies, but, like, yeah, torture, so what? You know what I mean? That it's like, you you kind of just can't help but hate him. And like, I kind of, I was too young to really like remember the like discourse around Robert McNamara, or not McNamara, um, Rumsfeld. But like, you would have to assume that a lot of people really just were like, oh, this dude's sleazy. We like Bush, but like this guy's sleazy. He's just, he's, you know, he went to Princeton and he's trying to, well, I guess, I don't know, where did Bush go? Did Bush go to Yale? So I don't know. But it's like, yeah, I don't know. The thing that pisses me off the most about him is that he's just so transparently evil. It's like, he's like, yeah, man, the world runs by just putting billions of dollars into the defense industry. Yeah, man, I'm like a private sector guy in politics and I'm literally trying to screw every American over, but like has somehow still managed to be Machiavellian enough, I guess, to like work his way through at least four decades of American politics, you know? It's like, it, it is everything wrong with, like, an American democracy. That it's mm. just like, oh, you know, this guy's been in power forever, you know? It's funny, my sense of him is quite diff- quite different to yours, I think, in mm. the sense of, like, I didn't read him as evil all of the time. Mm. I mostly just read him as evil when he stopped talking and grinned. Mm. Like, he has an evil smile. And oh, it was yeah. all, it was it was almost like you know in like a in like a in like a horror movie where they like <laughs> they try and make, they they accentuate a grin to make it look sinister and evil <laughs> like that's what he's got he's, he's got 100%. like a he's got like a slightly like demonic mm. a slightly sort of demonic veil falls over his face quite often and he's <laughs> yeah. got that kind of angular face in such a way that light falls over it in a very kind of like sinister way. Mm. Um, the character, if I was to compare him to a character that I sort of do encounter or can imagine encountering, it's kind of like, um, a character, a a charismatic, like college professor, Mm. something like that. Someone who speaks in kind of truisms and truths Mm. and aphorisms. Mm. Um, like uh, it, it feels like his entire... His entire brain, his entire speech pattern. At a certain point in the documentary, he talks about there being or him having a collection of like catchphrases. Yeah. Um, or maybe not. Maybe aphorisms is the right word. That was, he made uh, up himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I've never come across somebody who speaks in such like almost like like he's a talking fortune cookie or something. <laughs> like like there's some like cryptic meaning in everything that he says and you're sort of struggling to work out what it is. But it kind of reminds me of attachments that I've had to certain like uh, intellectual characters mm. who like speak in these cryptic ways, but you're like, ooh, it really draws you in with the possibility of there being meaning <laughs> in the things that he says. Yeah. So I can sort of imagine someone being run, won, won over by a certain aspect of that 
what could be read, what I might read as sort of like uh, charismatic intelligence mm. kind of thing. And there is a degree to which his belligerence is probably quite enjoyable for certain people. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I think because Trump had much more of the could concoct a, a sort of sense of his folksiness. I mean, he's the least folksy. Like <laughs> Trump's folksy. Yeah, but I don't know. Like <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, you, like like you, the thing that attracted people to Trump was never gonna. It, uh, Rumsfeld was never going to be able to do it in quite the same way kind of thing sure. but there's a respect for the belligerence mm. that I can imagine people having Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether he would ov- always be read as evil by all people under all circumstances I can imagine mm. somebody watching in those press conferences and being like yeah too right kind stick of to those damn lib reporters yeah. yeah yeah he's kind of a combination of He's there is something very like um just a Ben Shapiro esque oh, in like his I was gonna like say that, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's sort of like is it, yeah I mean you were the ones to use facts and logic <laughs> as a <laughs> phrase um, yeah 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 in, in his in his yeah he's very much a kind of like owning debate kind of like yeah. debate clubs sort of like uh, sophistry almost yeah he's kind of like a he's like a he's a sophist in his sort of like, yeah well the evil and the like liking him I don't think are. Maybe I should take that back because I don't think they are mutually exclusive. Like with Trump, you know, when Trump was like... And incredibly think... funny, incredibly funny. Exactly. Person. When yeah. Trump was like, yeah, do I think we should be torturing people? And like, what about no? And everyone's like, what? And then he goes, I think we should be doing more. And everyone's like, what? We love it. Like everybody knows that that shit is evil, but it's like, it comes from somewhere else. Uh, just like sticking it to the system, sticking it to everybody. So like during the Iraq war, when everybody was like, for some reason, all now excited about invading Iraq. Which, side note, how great was the moment when he was like, Errol was like, so everybody thought that um, uh, Saddam Hussein was like linked to Al-Qaeda. And like, was that your fault? Like, were you the one putting that misinformation out there and like linked to 9-11? He was like, oh, no, uh, of course not. I don't know where anybody got that information. And I tell you what, nobody thought that. And then he like quotes all these studies and like shows video footage of him being like, yes, he was, of course, we all know this. Blah, blah, blah. He's of course linked to Al-Qaeda. Um, I, I guess that like those two things aren't really mutually exclusive to him just being perceived as evil, but also being kind of likable. But maybe he just wanted to be likable. He wanted to be that guy. And it reached its peak under w bush where he was able to have enough of the spotlight to really perfect that like likable hey everybody loves me kind of vibe that he maybe he didn't get that maybe he thought he was gonna get when he thought he got the nod under reagan for vp but like i don't know i just i just i just read him as someone who's just so evil you can't even laugh at the stuff he does like you do with trump you know what i mean but maybe that's just because trump's very clearly stupid and rumsfeld very clearly isn't Mm, you know mm, mm, disgusted by all of it mm how about how about that bit where um one of the last things in the movie is because he's been calling all these memorandums that he writes snowflakes right because for whatever reason he's trying to be cool it's like another thing where he's like everybody calls my memos snowflakes and it's like you are the only one who calls them that um at the very end he the last memo that he writes is to all of the pentagon staff and it's something like um I've written a lot of these over the years and everybody's gotten one except a lot of people haven't gotten one. So now I'm writing it to all of the staff that just like seemed to me as like, maybe I'm doing a little bit of armchair psychology, but him like trying to put forward this view of himself that he really wants everyone to believe is like, you know, this bit of a hard ass and he sends all these memos out, but it's like, 
most of the people that he sent that to probably like never got a memo from him in his entire life. And it just, again, speaks to this, like, I don't know. Was he like wooed by a bit of the like spotlight under Bush where he had all of this airtime and TV and like maybe, you know, after the whole Reagan thing, when he just went on the private sector, like TV circuit, he kind of got like a taste for it. And then under Bush, he really got a taste for it. And so then he sent out this memo being like, oh, I know you all think of me like this. I just imagine every employee being like, I don't think of you like that at all. <laughs> Donald Rumsfeld, but okay, whatever. Um just speaks yeah, to he, psychopathic. Yeah, I mean, he definitely comes across as a, you can imagine him a boss where he has a completely different conception of how people think of him as how people actually think of him. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way I sort of like interpreted that memo was like, I know you think that I said a lot of these and I know you think that everybody's <laughs> constantly being bombarded with them, but like there are quite a lot of people who haven't been lucky enough to have received yeah. a memo from True. me. So here's one for everybody. Yeah. It's like the participation memo for yeah. everybody. To, like... That ego definitely built up over the years. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm, okay. So if we take two views of Robert McNamara, oh, God damn it, I keep doing that. Donald Rumsfeld's life. One where he's just like the guy holding it all together and we got to take these, uh, you know, truths as they are. The, you know, to be the America that we want to be and to maintain peace around the world, we got to sink all this money into the defense industry and we got to maybe do a little bit of torturing now and then. And, you know, God damn it, it's not great, but we, we got to do it. You know, that's like the like, he was the guy that kind of got things done view of Rumsfeld. And hey, he did it in like a funny enough way so that I feel like I can go to sleep at night being an American and not being disgusted by my government. So whatever. And then the like complete opposite Machiavellian view is like this dude helped orchestrate being in Vietnam Vietnam longer. This dude helped orchestrate like all of these horrible things in terms of, you know, basically everything from like the 70s to like. <laughs> you know, post 9-11 Iraq war and everything. This dude was like arch Machiavellian, making everything happen with Cheney, just purely for the benefit of people to make money and for him to like maintain power. When you walked away from this movie, which where did you feel like you've kind of landed a little bit more in? Because I think I kind of fall a little bit more on the Machiavellian side. And I don't think there are many people that I would say that about. Maybe Cheney is another one, but like I think I, you know, compare him to McNamara, I think it might be two ends of the spectrum for me. I definitely think of Cheney as being very, mm-hmm. um, has at least he has, the, the narrative and the story around him is that he really both, um, I know I'm getting some of this from the, 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 the movie that was made about <laughs> Cheney. <laughs> but um, well, as I get all of my information, I'm yeah, sorry. Sure. I, I don't know. <laughs> I definitely have the sense of Cheney as being somebody who um, manipulated circumstances and really put himself in the position of being the true sort of like power behind the throne in the Bush mm. administration kind of thing. Um, when it comes to the sort of like, when it comes to the Bush administration, I, I guess I've come to think of Dick Cheney as being a kind of like, not even second fiddle, but like tertiary fiddle to the whole sort of like (laughs) setup. Um, But you do get the impression from this documentary that like, I don't know, I can can fully imagine it being a narrative that he'd kind of want to, there to be more truth in than there actually Mm. was. Mm. Um, But I I mean, maybe we, maybe we could talk about the, the, the one, I mean, we've already talked about it a little bit. The one instance of um, him potentially being, um, 
Machiavellian or taking a risk and manipulating circumstances to his own um, to his own advantage is this time when he threatened to resign from the Gerald Ford administration. Yeah. Um, which I, I, I and then uh, is is convinced to stay on, and Ford makes all of these changes in the administration, which sort of like um, are seen to advantage his positions mm. and disadvantage other people, kind of thing. Um, so certainly in that instance, it, you get this sense that there he was at least able to manipulate circumstances. But um, I don't know whether this documentary gives us enough. Mm, yeah to go on so yeah what's the other option machiavelli or mcnamara <laughs> or mcnamara yeah well he's definitely not yeah is he is he Mac... i'm st- i'm still i'm still struggling with this is, is there a massive distinction between the two of them mm. or are they more similar than they first appear hmm. um because there was this there was one one really i don't know what well i can't recall the exact language and maybe you can um, but I feel like we both watched one segment of this documentary and came away with this idea that like Donald Rumsfeld just doesn't think that there is any lesson to be learned from one yeah. incident to the next kind of thing. Like Morris is really trying to push him. Like you were involved in this um, calamitous end to the Vietnam War. And he's really trying to get him to be like, were there lessons that should have been learned from Vietnam when we were in Iraq? I mean, that was basically yeah. the implication he was trying to make. Um, and Rumsfeld sort of like twists and turns with all of his sort of like fortune cookie aphorism <laughs> aphorisms and try and seems to come down on the position that like there is nothing to be learned from one instance. Like every instance of a, a, a piece of history is just things happening mm. and you sort of do the best in the moment when things are happening but like uh things don't have history and things don't have consequences mm. or is no there's no he he at least seems it, he presents it, there seems to be a presentation of his philosophy being that things don't have consequences mm. and so in some respects i feel like he's quite close to mcnamara in the sense that they were both in this mm. position of just being people being battered around by circumstances and doing the best that they could kind of thing. Mm. Um, That's a good point. And it's all like, and like similarly with, with, uh, with, with McNamara as with Rumsfeld, it kind of feels like there's degrees of evil. Mm. They, I feel like, and also like you get it. There's a segment in the documentary when he's talking about his um, condoning of certain, enhanced interrogation techniques for Guantanamo Bay um, and like which ones am I going to sign off of and which ones am I not going to sign off of and what specific circumstances am I going to say when certain things can happen and to what mm. degree and that the, 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 there's one point when there's a where they use the phrase like light pushing is to be yeah. allowed to be used along with a whole slew of other like more openly um, uh, violent techniques mm. kind of thing um and then later on he's asked to confront this sort of like here is this sort of like but newest nuanced balanced language that you put forward for uh, forms of torture to be used to certain circumstances and then he has to confront the the torture that was actually going on at Abu Ghraib prison mm. and he's clearly putting on this sort of like horrified uh taking this position of being horrified this is not what I intended this went much further than I thought kind of thing but I feel like there's a similarity in that instance with 
the degree to which McNamara was very much like, if things had just been, if, if my plan had just been followed kind of thing, if, if, if oh, yeah. it's very kind of like removed from the reality of things. Like he seems to very much think that like there is a degree to which um, sort of prisons are a certain way and it's it's fine and there's no reckon like my position would just be that like all of these things are forms of violence and like <laughs> it, it, like you can't like there's not I mean I suppose you can quibble with like degrees of acceptable and non-acceptable violence but that's what you're doing you're sort mm. of like um, you're quibbling over nuances kind of thing mm. and I, I think they both seem to be uh, trying to find the perfected sort of nuanced level of acceptable <laughs> evil to take kind yeah. of thing, and they both seem to come away from come away with this general sense of their history being that these things have gotten out of hand kind of thing, um, but it's not necessarily their responsibility. You know, like they yeah. were trying to find the right nuanced way of going about these things. They were both sort of calculators, like. Uh, uh, McNamara is much more presented as a sort of stats calculator kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I feel like there's a parallel. I don't know whether you got any no, of that definitely. sense. They seem just feel like there's a parallel in their character of their willingness to be close to history, but also separated from it kind of thing. When it suits them. When Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, definitely for Rumsfeld. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, there's definitely that whole thing about like, well, I authorized this torture, not that torture. Like, there's 150 million thousand percent more nuance to what actually happened there than what Rumsfeld said. Right? Yeah, I mean, we, we can't like, we can't take his word for any of this. Yeah, well, because let's let's look at what the other possible things could have been that would have happened. Either A, someone pulled him aside and was like, hey, man authorize this stuff it won't look too bad on you we can extrapolate from that in some kind of legal sense and if it ever does get out that we're doing these horrific things then you can always fall back on like well i only said this and we can kind of always fall back on like well he did say that but we're kind of just doing that here so sorry we just took it forward or something else happened where it, it was just like maybe like obviously there's more than one person in the world doing history so like maybe it was just some either CIA or defense guy being like, um, tell the boss, tell Rumsfeld that we're only going to do this. But like either wink, wink, nudge, nudge, he knows that we're obviously going to be doing more or things just got completely out of, out of control. And we can take him at his word where he was just like, you know, people are just going to be standing for four hours. I stand for eight hours a day. How could that be bad? Like there is more nuance to it. Again, we're kind of getting bogged down in the reality of like, for now I'm going to be a structuralist and be like, of course, something like this was going to happen when you have a completely unaccountable war where you're straight up like to say nothing of the like branches of the American government that aren't uh, accountable to the government itself, like intelligence agencies or things like that, or even parts of the military, um, just mercenaries. You know what I mean? So, they're, you know, it's, it, it's hard to say exactly what happened and who to pin the blame on. But like I'm comfortable pinning blame on Rumsfeld for authorizing anything even remotely close to torture at all. Especially when most of these guys, like these people being bought to Guantanamo or Abu Ghraib, were just like 19-year-olds that they picked up off the street and accused of being terrorists because like that's kind of how you get people scared of you. And they were just like some dude and they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And Rumsfeld uh, uh, authorized evil things to be done to them. So whatever happened. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think... What he's given us is the plausible deniability version of yeah. things. Yeah. I, as you were speaking, then I was just wondering whether what we've identified instead is um, 
a characteristic of people who put themselves in power where they they think they have a lot more power than they actually mm. do. That's a good point. Like mm. they think they are actually masters of circumstances when the circumstances are masters of them, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially in a government as, in an empire as sprawling as the American government. Slash yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's built on inaccountability kind exactly, of thing. It's built yeah. on vagueness and sort of dark areas and like, mm. I don't know. Well, to 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 run a war like the war in Iraq and in Afghanistan, you you would have to have unaccountability. You would have to have people that aren't accountable to anybody because your goals aren't. First of all, they aren't legal in any sense of the word. Going into these countries and doing what you did isn't legal in any word. So to operate at all, there needs to be some kind of plausible deniability yeah. and just it's unaccountability. Really, yeah, it's really interesting to think about like how violent and oppressive systems like work on a tacit understanding that we're not mm. going to condone, but the expectation is that these things will happen nonetheless kind of thing. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, it's built into policing as much as it's built into 100%. the military kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Talk about it just a sink for money as well. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Some, uh, I think it was street watch LA, which is like a LA based group that, um, uh, tries to help homeless people. Imagine that. Um, they posted something on Twitter recently of like a photo of an LAPD homelessness outreach, quote unquote. And it was just these straight up, like all it was was like three cops wearing like bulletproof attire in front of like, because they were at the beach in Venice, in like in front of three like Judge Dredd-esque looking like dune buggies being like, with like, you know, full like armor on all of them being like, we're doing uh, outreach to the homeless yeah. people. And it's like... <laughs> What a, what a joke when when like the defense industry and and what would you call like a, a domestic defense industry just an industry of exploitation and oppression I suppose um, gets to the point where yeah, it's so like the, yeah the domestic arm of the state's violence yeah. against its population exactly yeah <laughs> RSAs um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it gets to the point where people can be like well like even liberals can be like. Look at them doing homelessness outreach and they're like, <laughs> just these like, it's just a straight up like military, like getting the goddamn, <laughs> getting the goddamn Humvee homeless man. It's well, that's, like, the, oh that's the same like linguistic plausible deniability that, yeah. that is Donald Rumsfeld like stock and trade, right? Like yeah. as long as you can tell somebody you're doing something called homelessness outreach, it really <laughs> doesn't matter what the thing actually is. Kind Absolutely. Of thing. Yeah. Like it, it, as long as you could like, claim to be doing something called shock and awe or as long as you can claim to have a definition for terrorism it doesn't really matter like he does all this quibbling over definitions and getting the language right and regardless of what the language is the same outcomes are going to be happening in the real world kind of thing but yeah. he's far more i don't know like yeah i don't know yeah i want to read him as being obsessed with the language but maybe maybe you're right in that really what's going on is just like the language games are a plausible deniability mechanism kind of thing just to mm. distance him from his evil doings. Yeah. Is he using the language or is the language being used by him? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> we need to end the language. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you speak the language? Does, does, does it speak you? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's an aphorism that's either really intelligent or really <laughs> yeah. stupid. I think the latter. Yeah. Um, I I, I'm, I, Sounds very Lacanian, so I ought to be on board. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I I am more angry now than I was at the beginning. It, you're you're right. It's just that it's that effing smile because it's like that smile that politicians give. Bush did it. Trump did it. 
Obama did it. Uh, every politician ever does. It. I don't think Biden does it just because Biden's just like, what's going on? <laughs> but it's like that's that smile. That's yeah. Like, Biden can't risk a smile because he's not sure what he's going to be smiling at. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's that smile where half of the pop, well, not half the population, Republican voters will read it as like, look at him owning the libs and like. We see what you're doing, buddy. Okay, we know you're lying, but like, hell yeah, brother. And liberals will, you know, see it as like, uh, oh my God, this guy, he's smiling at us. How can he see it? He's not being logical. But like, everyone else just sees it as like, he knows what he's doing. It's a smile to be like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, try me. I'm Donald Rumsfeld, baby. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. like, oh my God. Yeah. That's what pissed me off the most, I guess, is just that he knows. He knows what he's doing and he knows why you're angry and he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> uh-huh. I kind of respect it. I don't. Oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I hate it. I mean, it's, it's just a difference in uh, characters, I guess. Yeah. I hate it with every bone in my body. <laughs> Just that, because he gave the, the most disgusting thing is like, okay, yes, we all know that like the American Armed Forces are like the most despicable thing on the planet. And we all kind of want to be like, what, if you join the army, that's like a pretty dumb thing to do. So like, dude, what are you doing? But like when he told that story about like uh, the guy in the hospital, because he like got Yeah, I'm glad we've come to up. this. Yeah, yeah. Because this is such like, <laughs> sorry to interrupt you, no, but like- you're watching that and you're like, oh, right, we're going to get to the point where yeah. that you get in the in the documentary about uh, McNamara where he mm. nearly breaks and he has to mm. pull back very rapidly. Mm. And then it takes a totally different twist. Yeah. Why don't you tell us what Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. He's telling this story about like some serviceman who got blown up. <laughs> right. And he's in the hospital bed and everyone's like, okay, this guy's probably going to die. And his wife or something like that comes to Donald Rumsfeld and is like, I think he's going to make it. And Rumsfeld like, Starts crying as he's rehearsed a million times, I'm sure. And then, like, says, and then I came back the next week and tell you what he made it. And it's just like, (laughs) okay, first of all, that didn't happen. That did not happen at all. And it's like, even if it did happen, what about all the people who died? uh, It makes no sense. (laughs) So anyway, my point is just like, yeah, we can harp on the armed forces all we want. But it's like, if you actually care about the people in the army... You should want to rip this dude to shreds. It's like, just for that story, that clearly facetious, like, like how many other hospital beds did that dude visit where they just died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. it's just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes you want to rip your hair out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if McNamara just reduced everybody to a, a number, yeah. like, Rumsfeld is doing sort of the exact, the, the exact opposite of that in to achieve exactly the same end. You're sort of like taking this one miraculous moment to sort of like veil all (laughs) the other sort of like uh, horrendous tragedies. Yeah. Um, And all the other people who came back from Iraq and Afghanistan were like, that was a fucking mistake. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like Rumsfeld. Wow. Hate him now. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll be honest. I don't think there's anything redeeming about this guy. Uh, Call me crazy. But, like, whether or not he's the Arch Machiavellian that I kind of think he is, uh, whether or not he did all of these horrible things, um, doesn't really matter because he was, you know, party to it all. Because at the very best, he's McNamara. And at the worst, it's like, whoa, he's 
just shy of Cheney, perhaps. I also like at one point how he called Cheney his personal secretary. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. Yeah, because Cheney started out as his secretary when yeah. he was like a congressperson kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, mm. Ugh. Bad guy, folks. That's what I got to say. Have we missed anything about Rumsfeld? I mean, anything about his career? Or... Uh... I mean, there's certainly a lot more to this story that we didn't get from the documentary or things sure. that were alluded at kind of thing. Mm. I was expecting we were going to get a lot more of the the catastrophic failures that led to 9-11 happening. Yeah. Um, and we also didn't get very much of his, how much he blundered the... I mean, you get some amount of the like post-invasion... The catastrophe that was the the invasion of Iraq and how culpable he was, and when he does eventually get sacked in two thousand six, I thought it was mm-hmm. like that is the cloud that's meant to be hanging over his sacking is like mm. uh, how catastrophic his running of or his prosecution of that war was, kind of thing, or is that f- failure to prepare for uh, post Saddam Iraq? Mm. Uh, so I don't know. It's just you. You do get a lot, but you also feel like there's a lot more material to. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, did you yeah, to bring up to bring up 9/11 for a sec? Just like <laughs> <laughs> the bit when Morris does confront him about that, and he's like, um, "How did these dudes just do 9/11? That seems effing insane. Like you expect us to believe that?" And he's just like. Things happen. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, what? Dude, what? It's like it's your job to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. Just like... And like he he spends forever harping on about like Pearl Harbor and how that should have been, people should have seen it coming kind Which, of thing. Which like, there is evidence now that people did didn't know, know it was, was going to happen. And it's like, you obviously know that. Like, oh my God. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't think that's as good of a metaphor as you think it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> like, Oh, Rumsfeld, you bastard. Mm. What do you think? Um, did you think there was anything to this little bit when at the end, when Morris catches him out, mm. where he seemed, he sort of put in his words to him and because you've got the, he's going over, well, there's two things actually I wanted to about the known unknowns and the known knowns. Like mm. it opens with Errol Morris asking Donald Rumsfeld to read uh, those, those, uh, Memos. read those memos about mm. the known unknowns and the known knowns and the and i was wondering whether it was all just in, like if you met donald rumsfeld you would try and get him to say those yeah. words <laughs> I wonder yeah, whether a lot of it yeah. was just Owen morris like I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna work out how to get him to say it one way or another <laughs> but then it then it ends with like you've got your known knowns and your known known your, your known knowns your <laughs> unknown knowns etc yeah etc 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 and then they they add a fourth one don't they hmm. um the unknown knowns, yeah, um, which Rumsfeld is meant to have intended um, things you think you know that you don't know, mm. and th- but Rumsfeld thinks that that his original version of that is wrong, and Rumsfeld seems to think that like what he meant by that was you know more than you mm. yeah, think yeah. you do, kind of thing. Yeah, um, and now Morris is really trying to put him to, trying to trying to cap off the whole narrative to the documentary with this idea that like what characterizes Rumsfeld's career or that whole period of American politics is like, you know, less than you think, you know, yeah. Uh, 
But Rumsfeld is totally unwilling to recognise that re-characterisation, so much so that he's willing to try and rewrite his own language to say that actually what he meant was that you know more than you think you know, not yeah. that you know less than you think you know kind of thing. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I thought that was a good way of tying it up because like at the beginning, I think I said out loud, like when he brings that up, I was like, oh, that's just another word for paranoia. Yeah. But then by the end of the movie, you realize that, no, that's just, it's not paranoia and it's not what he's saying. It's just another way to justify whatever you want to justify. He's saying, oh, there's always information out there that will justify the means. You know, you have your end in mind, do whatever you want. Um, you'll always be able to find information that justifies what you did. So it's not really paranoia at all. It's like, he's just kind of a smart dude. Yeah, yeah, you (laughs) decide what you want to achieve. Yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah, And then be like, I don't know, what did happen in Baghdad? Crazy. Next question. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, mean, just, I guess, to end kind of thing, like Mm. to reiterate what's most sickening is the degree to which... Well, one of the many sickening things I don't know <laughs> is the degree to which he was willing to just perpetuate this. We know that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. And yeah. when anybody asked for any amount of evidence, it was like, we don't even need, we don't need to yeah. give evidence because we know. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I can't believe you would even ask me to do that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, why would yeah. I get up in the morning and, at, you know, because he says something like, why would I look for potholes when yeah. I get up in the morning? And it's like, you're talking about evidence. You're not talking about potholes. You're talking about a way to justify the American people murdering a million people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, that was that was like his favorite kind of piece of logic, which is seems to be the most detestable. It's like whenever he's asked a question, he's like, why would I even think that far ahead? Yeah. Why would I even play out these thought experiments? Those, Why would those I even sad, ask myself these questions? Those thoughts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like... Uh-huh. Oh. And yeah, then he that, does At that smile. point, he's, he comes across as kind of a bit of a, a pick-up artist grifter on, on yeah. YouTube. It's just like... Just med- med- positive mental attitude. Like, don't think about <laughs> the bad things kind of thing. Just keep going. Straight edge. PMA. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, again, though, just to reiterate, these people will keep popping up while they have the opportunity to pop up in systems that they have the opportunity to pop up in. It isn't like he just appeared out of nowhere and mm. was able to do the Iraq war and do Afghanistan because there was someone as evil as him. Mm-hmm. People like that are just still going to keep popping up while we have uh, capitalism. Yeah, yeah. If one were... If one were naive one might think that iraq happened because people had been had forgotten vietnam mm. but not only had people not forgotten vietnam but people were involved in iraq who were literally involved <laughs> yeah. in vietnam that's the thing people remembered it perfectly yeah. and they were like we made some money yeah. during vietnam baby let's make even more money in iraq there was wasn't there that bit where there was like the original memo where he was like might have even been pre 9-11 where he was like um we're gonna have to deal with um i know maybe it was after 9-11 no i think it was pre it was pre there was a lot of like anti-saddam memos that came even before well it said something like we're gonna have to deal with afghanistan and get the taliban out and maybe with terrorism in one or two other countries i was kind of like i wonder what the second country they were thinking was Mm. probably pakistan honestly Mm. um (laughs) it was funny because the memo the way i wrote it down because i was like I thought it was quite funny. It kind of <laughs> it kind of read in a way where um it sounded a bit like the way he phrased it um we mentioned Afghanistan and then he mentioned and two other states that support terrorism. Mm. What he meant to say was we need to 
install some favorable governments in states that support terrorism mm. but it kind of sounded like what he was actually saying was we need to construct a few states that support terrorism yeah. which is actually what happened <laughs> yeah yeah exactly they've created far more like uh, terrorist friendly countries than existed before they made any intervention in the region kind of thing yeah. not that they hadn't been making interventions in the region so long as yeah. those borders have existed and that region has been described by uh, yeah. I don't know like, I mean, he, he used the word terrorist at one point in a way that almost implied he meant not just, like, people actively involved in, like, talk about getting an effing dictionary definition, but, like, people involved in, like, acts of terror to, like, further a political point or something like that. He almost used it as, like, anybody fighting against us as, like, guerrilla groups but also or insurgents, but also, like, anybody at home who's kind of, like, not down with this. Because he said something like, why would the terrorists... You know, they wouldn't want us to invade Iraq. And it was like, all right. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Uh, yeah, my point there is the Iraq war was bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. You will get no complaint from me. Thank God, Dan. Can I just say, thank God we have a president in the United States now who is actively opposed to the war in Iraq. And who, <laughs> wait a minute. Definitely voted against <laughs> I'm just getting this in on the newswire. Joe Biden was like the liberal being like, hey, Democrats, vote for war in Iraq. Oh, odd. Weird. Weird how that happens. Yeah. Ugh. Uncle Joe. Mm. What are you going to do? Yeah. It's a shame that his brain is deteriorating because we'll never get a, an interview like these ones. That's true. Mm. That's true. Yeah, what would that, yeah, what would that <laughs> be? Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, part of me is always very angry that all of these people live very long lives and die of old age. But then you see that, like, well, maybe their lives will end like George H.W. Bush. Did you ever see the video of him, quote unquote, throwing out the first pitch for the Houston Astros? No. Which, side note, of course he's throwing it out for the Houston Astros. It was disgusting. <laughs> Despicable team in all of sports. But it's really, it's pretty funny because, like, he's near the end of his life at that point and he's just in a wheelchair and they, he's like, can't move at all. And they say his name and, like, his arm just shoots up with the baseball. And it's like, did someone just shock him to get him to, like, move his arm up? Anyway, he's like decaying on camera. And it's like, if that has to be the end of this person's life, this despicable person's life, it's so be it. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah, decaying yeah, 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 on yeah. camera. Yeah. Yeah. Lest anybody think that Jack is mocking. <laughs> Um, or otherwise, um, yeah, like treating with ill favor somebody who who was clearly <laughs> suffering. Like we'll get onto it, I'm sure. But if there are any characters that deserve to suffer, it's many yeah. generations of the Bush. Family. It is a wall. It's all of them. Uh, who are the Bush kids these days? I don't think they're as <laughs> Machiavellian as their forebearers, but. Yeah, there were some bad ones. There were some bad ones, folks, and they go a long way back. Uh, we'll talk about that later. I don't know. I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted by all of these people, and it's the same people. And uh, oddly enough, weird how he was never elected. Damn. Democracy crazy, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> wow. Um, we've gone on. We've gone on. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm angry. I have nothing else to say. Um, if that... If... These people don't make you mad enough to want to just completely change everything. Come on. That's all. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Watch it again. Like, these are pretty bad people. And they're all still around. You know what I mean? If it's yeah. not Rumsfeld actually being around, it's somebody like Rumsfeld. They're all yeah. still around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, not only do we live in a system that allows the same character trait to keep coming up over and over again, we live in a system that allows the same literal characters <laughs> yeah, to come up over yeah, and over again. Yeah. Long, long careers of evil doing. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it made me kind of rethink the Mike Duncan, Mike Duncan, Mike Davis. I always do that. 
know, two excellent mics. Two excellent know. mics. Yeah. Um, the Mike Davis about Reagan kind of uh, being elected as like this Sunbelt bourgeoisie guy, which like he definitely was. But like it also made me think like, oh, there was also a little bit of like these guys, like there wasn't a, a lot of a power analysis in like guys like Rumsfeld and Cheney and all of these power players like supporting someone like him. Mm-hmm. Although maybe it was like, I guess they were probably the connection to money. Um, and they were like, hey, let us keep bombing whoever and, you know, defense industry, whatever, do your thing. Sunbelt bourgeoisie, New England bourgeoisie, it's all the same to me. I don't know. Um, on that happy note. On that happy note. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say. Dan, enjoy uh, your holiday that took place in the past. <laughs> I did. Oh, well. <laughs> oh good to hear. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we'll be back with more of something more of something yeah. we'll be finishing the fundamental principles book soon um, we're only going to do three parts on that I believe in theory yeah. I'll do that um, so that'll be done soon and yeah I guess that's it yeah. my name's been Jack Dan take us out <laughs> my name's been Dan thanks everybody for listening it's been a pleasure as always <laughs> thank you Jack thank you Dan we'll see everybody next time bye bye <laughs>